You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ovation Fertility, a leader in the field of IVF lab services. Ovation partners with some of America's leading fertility specialists to provide a range of services to support fertility treatment, including fertility testing, IVF, egg donation, surrogacy, genetic testing, and long-term storage of reproductive material. You can learn more about Ovation at OvationFertility.com. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I'm joined by my lovely and kind co-host and friends, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hey. And Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hi. How's it going, guys? It's going good. It's always good. We're podcasting. Yeah, it's always good. It seems like it's been a while since we've seen each other. So it's kind of nice to be back with you guys again after kind of the hubbub of the holidays. And we were just talking kind of before the show started and we were talking about kind of hobbies and activities. And I kind of bill myself as kind of a crafty person. I'm sort of a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And so I was just getting some art supplies yesterday and I was looking through the art supplies and all these cool things. It's like a kid in a candy store when I go to the art store because there's all these really cool things. And so I was just thinking, I saw something about screen printing, which I know nothing about like making t-shirts and stuff, like when you screen print. And that would be something I think it'd be just kind of fun to learn how to do. Don't ask me why, but <laughs> Susan's rolling her eyes at that. No, no. But like, isn't that kind of like what you can do on your, your, that device? Your cricket. That's it. Yeah, kind of like that, except this would actually be where you would actually put the dye and you would like somehow, and I don't know how you do it, but somehow you'd make the design, but it would be all with ink that you would like put on there or something. Right. I don't know. I really don't know much about it. But anyway, it just looked kind of interesting. There's several other hobbies I'd like to do, but I just thought that that would be kind of interesting to think about doing, but I need to do a little research on it first. So Carrie, do you have a hobby or interest that you're thinking about doing that you haven't yet started? Well, there's a ton that I'm thinking about that I haven't yet started, <laughs> um, all of which are heavily um, impacted by lack of really hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, that is a problem. That is the main limit that I have. And some of it is just the organizational component of it. Like if someone set me down with all these supplies, I would go to town. But it's the gathering of the supplies. It's the making of the space so that you can make a mess. Because I would love to like, you know, really learn how to do acrylic paints. I have a painting that I need to, that's sitting above my desk right now that I want to frame and I want to use a particular type of wood and staining and all that. And it's just getting together. I don't have a miter saw, which means I need to go borrow my friends and take all the stuff over there and do the cuts and then put it together and all that. And it's it is the accumulation of all of those things. Like I would love to take a glass blowing class. I would love to go back to pottery classes. Oh, that'd be fun. Those are two things I would love to do too, Carrie. My, one of my best friends who didn't seem to be very crafty made a cup for me. And she's apparently she's really into it and she's bought a kiln and it was beautiful. And I'm like, this looks so fun. So I'm with you. It seems very peaceful to make pottery. Yeah. You know? It is. And and when you get angry at it, because I took some classes in college, when you get angry at it, you just smash it while it's still wet and you have not destroyed anything. It's very therapeutic. And then you create something, you know, beautiful out of the exact same clay. And it's very helpful. 
I did it one time too. And I just remember how difficult it was to make things symmetric. You know, you, you move your hand just a little bit and it gets wobbly and then it starts <laughs> flying off the pottery wheel. <laughs> I definitely remember smacking one of my classmates with a cup that went AWOL. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Susan? It's not really a hobby. I would like to learn how to play golf. Well, that is a hobby. Okay. Hobby. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to do. And my mom's thinking about getting a house in an area that has a golf course that we'll be visiting. So I, I'm preparing my brain to be like, okay, I need to take lessons. I need to somehow get golf clubs. You're probably athletic though, right, Susan? You strike me as somebody that would be athletic. I'm a good dancer. Really? I haven't seen that side of you. <laughs> we'll have to hear more about that later. I'm a good dancer, but I'm not a sporty athletic person. Like in school, if there was a flying ball, it was flying at my head, you know, yeah. but I find being like on a golf course, very like peaceful. And I enjoy the, you know, camaraderie with the people that you happen to be with. And I think it's something I would really enjoy doing, but it just hasn't ever been convenient enough for me to do and important enough. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that is something I can change. If my experience at top golf is any indication of how well I would do on a golf course, <laughs> then I never want to pick up a golf club. <laughs> I'm just not very athletic. So crafting's better for me, golf's better for you. So, well, very good. Okay. Our first question today is, hi, ladies. I really enjoy your podcast. My question is, what is your opinion about ovarian rejuvenation with platelet-rich plasma treatment? To be honest, I've not really seen any data on it. I don't know that there is any data on it, randomized perspective data that suggests it's helpful. I, you know, at first glance, you know, I kind of think it's one of those things where people are kind of clutching for straws, hoping that some magic pill or magic procedure is going to change the age of the eggs. But to my knowledge, unfortunately, you can't outlast the biological clock and neither can your ovaries. So I doubt that it would be really very beneficial for your ovaries. What about you, Carrie? What do you know about it? Same. Not a whole lot of data. My patients who have done it, I have seen no impact on it. You know, I doubt it causes any medical harm. It certainly causes the, the expense and the time that it takes to do it. How expensive is that treatment? I don't know. I know that there's not that many places that do it. Where have your patients gone to do it? Um, some have gone to California. Some have gone to Europe. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I haven't seen a whole lot of data for it. I could kind of see where mechanistically, when you think of like, what is the proposed mechanism of action of why this would work? Like I can kind of get why you might think it would work, but I don't think anybody's shown any real benefit for it. And it's, you know, it's an invasive procedure. They're sticking needles in. It's kind of a reverse of a retrieval where they go into the ovaries with a needle and inject this and see what happens. You know, I always worry about the side effects of that, of what happens if there's an infection. I think mm -hmm. the likelihood of that is low. We certainly don't see it very often with retrievals when we're poking needles in, but, you know, it's there. Did they do it transabdominally or transvaginally like we do? Transvaginally. I mean, it's fertility docs who do it. So the vaginal ultrasounds are how we all function at our best. So, yes. You know, I would think that would be kind of hard to do, though, in an ovary that wasn't stimulated. I would think that it would be, the ovary would be pretty high in the pelvis. Especially if you're dealing with a little bitty diminished ovarian reserve ovary. Yeah. I would worry a little bit about complication from that. But all right. Well, how about question number two? 
All right. Love your show. I'm about to start fertility treatment to conceive my third baby. I am 33 years old and I have PCOS. I conceived easily with prior fertility treatment, but I am switching to a new clinic for this round. I'm wondering how long does the diagnostic testing typically take to complete? In other words, was the typical timeline from initial patient visit to a potential positive pregnancy test? I am very eager to get started with treatment. I'm hoping to manage my expectations if the diagnostic testing phase takes months and months to complete. Really hope to hear your answer on the show. So this is a patient who has not necessarily doing IVF, right? She's going to the fertility clinic just to start with treatment for PCOS. Correct. You know, generally, it doesn't take very long. I mean, usually, most of the time, sometimes we want to check your tubes, but that can even be done within the same stimulation cycle. Um, The tube test is done in the second week of your cycle after your period, but before you ovulate. So you can still be on fertility drugs and still try and get pregnant in that cycle. A lot of people would do a sperm test. That can be done, you know, probably on the same day or within a few days of your appointment. And then the other test, I think a lot of people want to do is blood testing to check your ovarian reserve. But generally, at least in my patient population, patients are not delayed very long when they first see me, particularly if they're going to do oral ovulation induction. Usually, you're just delayed based on when your period starts. So I usually tell patients when they come in, you know, if your period starts in two or three weeks, we'll start your treatment then. Or if it starts tomorrow, we can start your treatment then as well. So what about you, Carrie? I mean, I would usually say my world operates in menstrual cycles. And so... The first menstrual cycle, we're going to spend doing testing. So if you come see me, you know, you're two weeks in with your next period, we're going to get all the testing done. And for people who are motivated and able to get it all done, they can knock it out within one menstrual cycle month. And then they follow up with me. And then the subsequent menstrual cycle month, we can start on whatever treatment we're starting on. Now, the things that can throw a wrench into that for women who don't have regular periods, sometimes it can take a little bit longer because you got to bring a period on. Sometimes the financial component can slow things down because you know it takes longer to get in touch with your insurance and find out what is and is not covered and straighten all of that out. And sometimes people's lives get in the way where you need to have a test done, you need to have whatever done to start treatment and you're traveling that month or you just can't do it. So free COVID. Yeah. <laughs> that has felled so many patients recently, like people who are all set and ready to go and then boom, a positive test. I have had more patients canceling surgeries, cycles, all kinds of stuff that you do with us in the last three months than I have probably in the entire two years previous combined. I would agree with that. Yeah, I saw some statistic about something like 7 million people have gotten COVID and 1 million of those have been in the last month or something. Like, I mean, it's Omicron's really, I think, turned everything on its side. It's really so contagious. I think it's a combination of it's Omicron. I think testing has become easier to get. I honestly think it's become more socially, this sounds really weird. It's become more socially acceptable to say that you've had or have COVID. Yeah, it's not like you've had the bubonic plague. It felt like the bubonic plague early on. But yeah, now it's kind of like, oh yeah, of course I've had it. Or, you know, most a lot of people have had it. So now we still typically want to delay A, having you in our office because we do have pregnant women. We're trying to keep everybody safe or people who are in the midst of treatment and eggs and embryos don't like fevers. And so even if you have a mild case, that inflammation, the potential fever, all of that is the reason why we cancel your cycle. Um, I would say most 
operating rooms. Like when I got our protocols from the operating rooms that I use when I'm doing bigger procedures, they all say minimum of four weeks, if not six to eight, when you've had a positive test because of the ramifications, both with blood clotting and respiratory diseases. So, so we cancel everything because the implications are actually pretty huge if they do happen. All right. So our topic today is going to be reasons for cycle cancellation. And so we've sort of been doing a series on different steps in IVF. And, you know, I think everybody goes into a cycle with a positive outlook, or I think a lot of people do, and that's great. But I always try and prepare my patients for what can go wrong, because people kind of tend to think I'm going to be the one that's going to do great. And so when we come to you and tell you something that makes us say that the cycle needs to be canceled, a lot of times it sort of just kind of rocks your world. I want to interject something real quick. One thing I would like us to kind of say is, cycle cancellation slash cycle delay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to say it. Doesn't mean it'll be permanently canceled. Exactly, exactly. I mean, because cancel is very like definite versus there's a lot of things that we're going to eventually get where we want to be, but we've got to work around something. So cycle cancellation slash delay. <laughs> so what would make you delay somebody's cycle, Susan? So one of the first things I think about is the dreaded ovarian cyst. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, let's talk about what a cyst is. So first of all, polycystic ovarian syndrome is a terribly named condition because you actually have polyfollicular ovarian syndrome. So a cyst is a follicle that is greater than two centimeters that is not supposed to be there at that particular point in time. Okay, because there are actually follicles that are two centimeters that are supposed to be there at certain points in time. But a cyst is one that's not supposed to be there at at a certain point in time. So especially if you're doing some sort of down regulation, so whether you're using Lupron or you're using birth control pills, you come in for your first baseline ultrasound and you know, the infamous question is, so what are we looking for today? And we're looking to make sure that all of your follicles are nice and small, about the same size. So you may have even something that, you know, may not technically be a cyst. So maybe something that's 14, 15 millimeters, but everything else is maybe three, four, five, six millimeters. And that's a generous difference in size in our world that it's one of those like, Let's keep you suppressed. Let's keep you on your Lupron or let's keep you on your birth control pills. Let's see what happens over the next week or two. Usually these things go away on their own. A cyst is not a bad omen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I think that the point to make too for patients is that the idea is that, you know, the cyst that we're saying may have been a follicle at one point, but ideally when you're starting out with the cycle, we want all the eggs or cysts or follicles or whatever you want to call them to be the same size. And we want all of them to grow at the same rate. If one gets too fast or too slow, that can be a problem. But it's just starting out, we want everything to start from baseline because once we start to stimulate you, we worry that that bigger follicle or cyst has already started, you know, it's already the horse is already out of the barn and it's already running and we don't want it to keep running faster and get it ahead of the other follicles as well. Right, because the big follicle is the one that calls the shots in the cycle. Right. So Carrie, talk to us about some other reason we might delay or cancel a cycle. So one of them is what we were just talking about. If if there is something that is going wrong, you know, if you have some medical issue that pops up, you are actively sick, you are freshly coming off of being sick. You or your partner. 
or your partner. That's the other thing. Like if he's really sick too, sperm don't like fevers. And if we know we're going to get bad sperm, then we'll delay by a month or two, sometimes longer. And so the reason that we are so meticulous about that is when we go to get your eggs out, we have to put you to sleep and lungs need to function on their own because when we're doing that anesthesia, your lungs have to be working well. And this is an elective procedure. So we don't tolerate increased risk very well. It's one thing if you go into the hospital because you are acutely ill and you have to have a surgery and you're sick and they got to do it. That is a different story than when you're going through an IVF cycle. And so what we want to do after someone's been recently sick is make sure that they're far enough out so that their lungs are going to be healthy. And so if you recently had an emergency or unplanned surgery and a new diagnosis of something, we may say, let's wait and see how this settles and then move on from there. And it doesn't mean that we have to wait for very long. It does mean that we want to know what's going on before we start giving you all these meds and planning these procedures. Yeah. And piggybacking onto that made me think about patients who have medical illnesses. And, you know, everybody really wants to get going really quickly, usually. So you have yet to see too many IVF patients to go, oh, I'm probably going to start this in six or eight months. Most people, when they make the decision they want to proceed, they want to get going quickly. But our job as physicians is to think about what could go wrong and prepare for it and plan for it. And so, you know, if you've had a clot in your leg before, if you've had some cardiac history, or if you've had some lung issue, we just want to make sure it's safe enough for you to do this procedure. Because like Carrie mentioned, this is elective procedure. This is not something that has to be done. And many times we're working in a surgery center and, you know, are not immediately in the hospital. So if something went really bad, we would have to call an ambulance and it wouldn't be as easy to get the people there that need to see you if you had like a cardiac issue or something like that. So I think I've had several patients over the years that have gotten frustrated because I I want them to see their doctor and just make sure that they're healthy enough to pursue, you know, IVF. But that's why, I mean, we want to do it safe and we want you to be safe and, and have good outcomes with IVF. Susan, any other thoughts that you have? What else would delay a cycle? In the true form of cancellation of a cycle, I'm kind of thinking of the person who I expect a good response. So age is in favor, ovarian reserve tests are in favor, and I'm doing a stimulation and the stimulation just really doesn't reflect my expectations. When you are looking at going to IVF, the stuff that costs you the most money is what happens in the lab. Retrieval, transfer, embryology fees, all of those types of things. So my goal is to get you there in the best condition you can get there in. So sometimes ovaries don't do what we are telling them to. And despite all of our best planning and all of our experience and put it all together, we are dealing with the human condition. And that's the reason we do all this monitoring is because sometimes ovaries don't do what they should. And I don't cancel a whole lot of cycles, but I had somebody I canceled about a month or so ago and she had had beautiful testing. She was in her young thirties and we were halfway through her stem. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to get more than four or five eggs out of this. And I'm like, that is not what I would expect. I'm like, we need to stop, come at this from a different angle, rethink, maybe do a different type of stimulation, get things in a different perspective and go from there. Because like I said, as much as medications and ultrasounds cost compared to what you're going to pay in that embryology lab, we really want to get you to that in the right condition. 
Well, and kind of piggybacking that as well, you know, like you said, if, if you think she's not meeting the expectations, if you think she can get a whole bunch more eggs by stopping and restarting, that makes sense. We have some patients, however, and this is really an individual decision really between you and your doctor, that we start to stimulate you and say you only have, I don't know, somewhere between one to four or five eggs. And, you know, maybe this is a situation where no matter what we do, if we change the medicines, maybe it won't make a difference, maybe it will. But typically that sort of brings up a discussion with you and your healthcare provider about, should I stop and maybe restart with a different type of medicine or a different dose? Because again, when we go to egg retrieval, unfortunately, we can't see the eggs when we go in to take them out. We can see the follicle, which is the fluid filled sac around the egg, but we can't see the actual egg. So we may hope that we're going to get three or four eggs, but, you know, we don't know until they're in the Petri dish at the end of the procedure. And so, you know, if it looks like you're going to spend a lot of time and money and risk to you doing this, we really want to make sure that we have you in a position where you're going to get the maximum number of eggs that we could possibly hope for. That being said, there's some women that we treat that going in and getting one to four eggs is the best that we're going to get. Yeah. That's the best we're going to get. And we'll move forward with those because we want to give you your best chance of pregnancy. It's where kind of expectation and what we're seeing in reality aren't meshing yeah. together very well. Yeah. I think another thing that would potentially cancel a cycle or could potentially cancel a cycle is, you know, in a patient who may have an ovary that we can't access easily or safely. If there's a fibroid in the way, if it's too high in the pelvis, if there's some medical reason we can't get to one or both of those ovaries, that would be a reason that we may consider cycle cancellation as well, anatomic issues. So along the delay segment of our of our conversation, <laughs> and again, this is not something that happens a lot, but I do think being in a good frame of mind is a very important thing when you're going through an IVF cycle. IVF is stressful, okay? Under the best of situations, you have so many hopes and dreams and aspirations going into this, not only all the financial stuff, but you're putting so much of your heart and soul into it that it is very important to try to be in the best psychological, mental situation that you can be in. And sometimes people need some extra support. And if you do need that, let your doctor know. We can point you in some great directions and get you some resources. But I have had patients, especially patients sometimes coming back for a second cycle that I've said, you know, maybe taking a couple of months to kind of getting everything organized in your heart and your brain or getting yourself in a good space is going to be kind of the best thing leading into a stimulation because it's a whole lot easier to get somebody pregnant who's believing that it's going to happen than somebody who's not believing. Very good point. All right, Carrie, anything to add to that? I would say probably the biggest concrete reason to truly cancel a cycle that everybody otherwise thinks, yeah, we're going to go the distance is when someone ovulates early. Ah, yes. Yes, that's true. This is part of the reason why we check ultrasounds and we check labs and we're kind of OCD about it. And when we're doing a stem cycle, our goal is to give you medications that prevent the premature ovulation of those eggs. So we want them to ovulate, but we want them to ovulate when we want them to ovulate, not when <laughs> you want them to ovulate. And sometimes that can happen. And sometimes that can happen. And so we tend to see this more in patients who have a situation where there is really decreased ovarian reserve. I see it more in my patients who are over 40. Occasionally, I'll see it in other patients as well, where they just, they break through. But 
when that happens, we cancel right out because we know even if we go on to try and drain those eggs, drain those follicles, we're not going to find anything. And that incurs all of the cost and the risk for you. And so we don't want to do that. And so, you know, usually it doesn't mean that anybody's done anything wrong. Like every so often a patient will realize, oh crap, I thought I was taking the right medication, but I took the wrong one instead. And I accidentally missed the dose of the medication that would prevent ovulation. But vast majority of the time, it happens because it happens, not because somebody did something wrong. And there's a lot of tendency to want to go, well, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do this? Yeah, it's just, unfortunately, you can do the same thing 100 times and get the same result 98 times, but the other two times you just don't. So you're right. Unfortunately, it's just, it's really upsetting though, for sure, for patients, but sometimes it just happens. Yeah, and I would say that is probably the most upsetting reason to have to cancel a cycle. Yeah, because it's at the last minutes, the day before the egg retrieval. So it's a lot. Or sometimes it's at the time you go in for the egg retrieval and you put in the ultrasound and everything's in the pelvis. Yeah. Usually when that happens, you know, we stop and we reevaluate medications and we try a slightly different protocol next go around. You know, it's usually not a bad omen in any way. It's just a, it's the most frustrating of all the situations we deal with, I think, because everybody's hopes are really high. You've been cruising right along and then they just kind of drop off a cliff right there. Yeah. I think the positive statement from this is just like Susan really said, it's for most people, when we cancel a cycle, it's not truly cancellation. It's just a delay, but it, you know, the fact that it is a delay and it's not expected can be, you know, really upsetting, but you know, as much as you can, try and be in a good headspace and, you know, just know that as healthcare providers, we want the best for you and we want the best outcome for you and that we're really looking at that in the big picture. So if we think we can do better with another stimulation, that's what we want to do. So to our audience, thanks for listening and tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. We'd really love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. So hop on, leave us a like or comment. You can also visit fertilitydocsuncensored.com to submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions will be answered on our podcast anonymously in the Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We also love episode ideas. So let us know what you're thinking and what you want to hear. As always, this podcast is intended for entertainment and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. Talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Theralogics. Preparing for pregnancy is not just a woman's responsibility. In addition to the Theranatal line, Theralogics developed fertility supplements for men, including two formulas of Conception XR to support healthy sperm. These supplements are independently tested and certified by NSF to ensure content purity, accuracy, and safety. 